0: It's wonderful to be with you on this Palm Sunday. So we're in the presence of the Lord, getting the privilege of worshiping Him together. I'm going to just touch on a couple of things uh, before I get into our message, which is going to be coming starting in John chapter 12. We're going to look at a handful of scriptures today, but we're going to start in John chapter 12. Uh, But let me touch base on a couple things. First of all, we're starting a new series today that we are entitling The Wondrous Cross, and we have a devotional that is sort of a corresponding devotional. If you would like to pick one of these up at the Info Center, or we have them available for download, this was mentioned in the announcements, but some of you weren't here in the announcements, so I'm mentioning it to you now, so that you're aware of that. Uh, We're excited about that. We're excited about what this new season will be for us, so it will carry us through Easter and then for many weeks beyond that as we focus on the cross, and we're going to be kicking that off today on this Palm Sunday. Uh, Secondly, I want to mention just a special thank you to the church family. You know, this has been kind of an amazing first part of the year. I mean, there's been a lot of activity. There's been a lot of things, a lot of moving parts, a lot of opportunities to serve and to give and different things like that. And so I just want to say thank you for your spirit of generosity. You know, we, we have seen this in so many special ways. Last week as we were celebrating missions, uh, to hear your heart, your generous heart. I was just saying, how do we, how do we send? How do we send missionaries around the world uh, that's, that's a beautiful thing to see. Uh, the out of the cold ministry uh, was really a wonderful time for us to be caring for the, some of the homeless community here in State College. We made some new friends and got to know some people. And just to see the way that you were praying and giving and making meals and doing all of that kind of stuff to meet those needs, that is a spirit of generosity and hospitality, and that was beautiful for me to see. Uh, The Afghan refugee support, many of you have been working together. We have a team that's been working hard. We do actually have some families that are on the ground and and coming in now, so you can continue to pray in that direction. But financial needs are being met there. And so another place that we want to just say thank you and uh, some wonderful ministry opportunities that will be there. The Life Conference, we had the Life Tables. If you remember, those were out there. All of those cards were picked up, every single one of the cards for the students and the leaders that were going. So once again, spirit of generosity so we see all of that and we just say thank you thank you thank you for for being the hands and feet of Jesus in different ways some people have asked me in recent weeks yes but is our church overall church giving our general fund giving and stuff like that, has been lower over these last couple months and that is true but I want to tell you how I see that I see that sort of in two ways number one if that is a concern to you so of course I go oh yeah I want to make sure our giving is strong it's just a reminder to pray you know we just say lord just you provide what we need and when we need it we'll trust you with it so if if you're concerned at all about that just pray the second thing is we see how god has this way of kind of like it's all his resources right so there's there's been a season where he's been saying church i want you to be thinking outwardly and you've been doing that and that's just a beautiful thing and so we we actually take great comfort in that and we continue to be absolutely certain of this that when we collectively respond in obedience as the lord calls us to give and to sacrifice and to serve there will always be more than enough and so we are certain of that thank you for your spirit of generosity it is a beautiful beautiful thing to see and we'll continue to move forward together i wanted to say that before we got into the message we're coming into holy week uh, we're asking you today to pray with expectation. I want to ask you to join me, join our staff, join our worship folks. We're gathering together. We are praying daily that God will show up, that God will move, and, and, and he will do some special things in these upcoming services. Would you join us in that? Boy, what, what, a, what an awesome kind of picture that is to know that we're not just sort of scattered. We're not just gathering. every. We are praying. We are a praying people, and we're asking God to move. So pray. That God will change the environment Pray that there will be new life How, how many of you would say You know what I, I, It would do my heart good To see some, some new life Raise your hand If that's sort of exciting to you Right? I mean Yeah those of you who Didn't raise your hand That's alright We'll pray for you next But that's all, I mean new life is, is sort of exciting And contagious and, and good And it's the heart of the Father You know to, to seek and to save That which was lost And so If we can't be praying About that in the Easter season Man I don't know when we can So join us in praying Pray with expectation. Today we're actually kicking off this wonderful season with Palm Sunday. And I want you to turn to John chapter 12 as we uh, look at the triumphal entry. We're kind of using this as a a springboard scripture for us today. Uh, My favorite little Palm Sunday joke goes like this. There's a little boy. He gets sick on Palm Sunday, can't go to church. So he's home. His, his, his siblings come home from church and they got these like palm fronds that they're waving around. And he's like, what is this deal? Well, like, what I miss? And his older sister says, well, the palm fronds were what the people waved as Jesus walked by. You know, it was, this, it was sort of a big deal. And the kid like sort of downcast, he goes, you tell me the one Sunday I don't go to church, Jesus actually shows up. <laughs> now that may be a sermon in and of itself, we can get on that another time, but it is Palm Sunday today, we're celebrating uh, the triumphal entry of Christ into Jerusalem, and uh, I've chosen John chapter 12 as a place for us to read that account together. So follow with me if you will, we're going to pick up in verse 12 and read through verse 16, and it says, the next day the great uh, crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And they took palm branches and they went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and he sat on it as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. May God add blessing to the reading of his word this morning. So the new series that we're talking about is called The Wondrous Cross. Here's what we know about the triumphal entry of Jesus. This is a very pivotal moment in his earthly ministry. But Jesus was not headed for celebrity status. Like We, we know this. Jesus was not headed for political power. In fact, he avoided it. Every time that people said, we wanna make him the king, and he kept saying, no, it's not my time, no, it's not my time. Jesus was not headed for political power, although his appeal was certainly very, very high in this moment. Jesus was not headed for fame or fortune. He would become famous, but not this way, because Jesus was headed toward the cross. We sing the hymn, When I survey the wondrous cross On which the prince of glory died My richest gain I count but loss And pour contempt on all my pride When I survey the wondrous cross That is what we are endeavoring to do in this series Is, is What does it actually mean to, to sit in the shadow of the cross To learn from a Savior who went to the cross and find ourselves maybe saying, even as Paul said, forbid it, Lord, that I should boast save in the death of Christ my God. That particular hymn ends with these words, where the whole realm of nature mine, that was a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. I have been having a weepy morning. I don't know why. I'm not going to get through this message probably without some, some tears. It's just that, you know, this, God, how do you help us get this? So we go to the cross and we learn. Today what we're going to do, I want to I share a, a quote from Jay Kim Uh, who was one of the contributors in this devotional that I was mentioning. So the Wonders Cross devotional. This is actually made by uh, Christianity Today and it is a compilation with multiple authors and things like that. Great resource. It will loosely, we'll loosely follow some of these things in the sermons that we're preaching so there will be some coordination there. Uh, Jay Kim was the author of uh, this particular um, devotional and he says this. He says the cross is the great revealer And the question that we're going to ask today is, what is it that the cross reveals? The cross is the great revealer, exposing the temporary stuff of earth and directing our hearts and minds toward the everlasting substance of eternity. We're going to ask the question today, what is it that the cross reveals And I could probably write probably 10 or 11 different things that that were sort of on my heart as I was working on this message, but I'm going to focus it down to three. Let me share this quote with you from Matthew Henry, who is a famous Bible commentator. He says this, Come and see the victories of the cross. Christ's wounds are thy healings. His agonies are Thy repose, His conflicts, thy conquests, His groans, thy songs, His pains, thine ease, His shame, thy glory, His death, thy life, His sufferings, thy salvation. These are the kind of things that are revealed when we sit in the shadow of the cross, when we have humility to understand all that Christ has done. And what you'll see sort of throughout the course of today's message is it is so humbling because there's nothing that you can do to earn the favor of God that is given to you at the cross. It's all been done. And so in that sort of humble space, we look at the question, what is revealed when we sit in the shadow of the cross? Well, the first thing I wanna share with you is this, that the cross reveals the temporary and points to the eternal. Notice, you know, in the teachings of Jesus, like I'm thinking about Matthew six, where Jesus says things like, don't store up for yourself treasures in, in, on the earth. Like, just don't do it. Like, when you be, when you begin to put all of your treasures and get your treasures here, the problem is they get rusty, they get eaten up by moths, they get stolen. He said, "There's this, there's a problem." So don't invest yourself here, but rather learn what it is to store up treasures in heaven. And so he he begins to paint this juxtaposition. In fact, he does this a lot in his teaching. He's always sort of getting our attention away from that which is temporary and it's sort of on the nose in this particular example, and to that which is eternal. So this quote from J. Kim that I just read to you is, the cross is the great revealer exposing the temporary stuff of earth and directing our hearts and minds toward the everlasting substance of eternity. It's very much in step with the teachings of Christ and the life of Christ. Now, J. Kim goes on to say this, sort of as a nod to William Blake. He says, the reason that we must understand what it is to get our attention in the right place is that we become that which we behold. And the sad reality in our world is we've gotta do business with the fact that we get rooted to this world so easily. We get busy busy. We get frantic. We're always running. How many of you, you know, Easter season wouldn't be great if it was like relaxed and peaceful. I'm just going to celebrate the work of Jesus. That's not how we do it, right? I mean, we're running. We got family obligations. We got all these kind of things. If we can just sort of get through the holidays. And, you know, ministry people, they're like the worst. You know, like I'm not pointing the finger. I mean, we're like the worst. You take the biggest pivotal moments. In the, in the spiritual calendar year and look at your pastor and pastoral staff and they're like frantic and running and da-da-da-da. It takes discipline to be able to say no, we gotta slow down and focus on that which is eternal. We cannot get, we must not get, so enamored with what is temporary that we miss out on what is eternal. The cross is the great revealer and we become what we behold. J. Kim goes on to say this, For the Christian, beholding the cross is a way of breaking free from the morbid, nihilistic, short-sightedness of secularism in order to live more fully into the hopeful, eternal story unfolding in the present and awaiting us in the future. So the cross reveals that. And when we slow down, and the hope in this season is that we would have times that we're slowing down, contemplating, learning from the Savior who went to the cross, what does the cross reveal? The cross reveals that which is of eternal value and that which is only temporary. There's another thing in this point, though, that I want to maybe note with you. I think that maybe the reason that it can be hard to sit at the foot of the cross. You know, it's hard to slow down, it's hard to contemplate and, and live and be in that space. And the enemy of your soul does not want you to be there. Right, I mean, make no mistake about that. The enemy of your soul would much rather have you be busy, be frantic, be running, be you know, do a, maybe even doing all kinds of good things, but he doesn't want you to get s- still. He doesn't want you to contemplate. Why is that? Because it is at the foot of the cross that we analyze our tendency to drift. The foot of the cross, the the sacrifice of Christ, brings us back to that center place. I'm gonna talk about drift for a second. So drift is a very real thing, can be a very dangerous thing, right? When you are driving and you are on the highway with a concrete barrier on one side and an 18-wheeler on the other side, like it is, you better be focused, right? I mean, you gotta stay between the lines and you're probably thinking I hope everybody else is staying between the lines too, right? Because a little bit of drift, a little bit of drift, one way or the other, and suddenly you're in a place that you don't wanna be. I was thinking about this notion of drift. You know, it makes me think about the, one of my favorite hymns, Come Now, Fount, though it does have some odd language, like here I raise my Ebenezer. It also captures our hearts well with its hauntingly beautiful truth, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. So here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for the courts above. See, that happens when we come back to the cross. We realize the places that we're prone to wander, we're prone to drift. Every one of us deals with this on one level or another and yet it's part of the human condition and you hear Jesus at the foot of the cross saying, I'm gonna recenter you again on what matters. That is a wonderful and important discipline. So I was thinking about this idea for drift and um, a friend of ours, um, Jonathan Weibel, who's preached here, he's in charge of Front Yard Mission and he does some great stuff in our community, is a great friend. His dad recently died and um, he, was, he was speaking at his dad's funeral uh, where incidentally he said, we had like a dozen people commit their heart to Jesus. I was like, man, that's awesome. That's what we're, that's what we're praying for, right? New life, that's what we're praying for. But he read a a, a rather beautiful writing that his dad had had written, prophetic words. But one of the things that his dad had written before he died, read at his funeral, and, and it was read at his funeral, was this. Isn't there a serious danger that our habits fix us so immovably to the drift of our circumstances that we cannot free ourselves even when we want to? The author of Hebrews gives us this practical exhortation. We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift from it. So this was read at his, at his funeral, and I think a lot of people took it to heart. I, I wasn't even there, but I heard it, and I, I took it to heart. I said, Lord, I don't want to wander. Come back to the foot of the cross. Be reminded what is temporary. Be reminded what is eternal. So we read um, the triumphal entry in John 12 today. And let, let me share with you what is sort of a great irony with this passage of scripture. The great irony of Palm Sunday is that the fickle crowds who seem to be in the right posture of worship for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords were actually pursuing a temporal kingdom. You know, to them, this This entrance, this there's this guy coming in, he's a fulfillment of prophecy. He's got the he's got the crowds on his side, all of these are going on, but this will be in their mind a political repositioning for God's people. That will always translate to something temporal. In fact, they had no idea of the eternal implications of what Jesus was going to do. So I'm struck by this in this message how little we really get of Jesus' plan. I mean, sometimes we think we know. Sometimes we may even have a glimpse and have glimpsed it correctly, but here's a group of people saying, Hosanna, he's coming in to save us. It's Palm Sunday, man. They're gonna talk about this forever. There's gonna be kids with Palm Sunday in church. And da, da, da. I don't know if they said that. I'm just having fun. But they were all excited about it, but they missed it. It was, it was a temporal kingdom that they were excited about. And that's what sort it of takes us to our next point, what the cross reveals. The cross reveals the sovereign plan of God's salvation. Now, I want you to see this for a moment because this began to really strike me as I was putting this message together, some thoughts that I've had for a long time. You realize that if Jesus had become the earthly king at that point, humanity would have been lost. The plan of God's salvation ran much deeper than what the people thought that they knew at that time. In fact, the complexities of God's salvation, which was foreshadowed all the way back in Genesis, consummated all the way forward in Revelation, fulfilled in his his rejection and seeming destruction, and then is extended all the way out to us today, unhindered by the limits of time and space. Now, I want you just to just dwell on this with me for a moment. It's a powerful thought. It says in John 12, verse 14, Jesus found a young donkey and he sat on it, as is written, do not be afraid, daughter of Zion, see your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. This is a fulfillment of the prophecy in Zechariah chapter nine and verse nine, and it's one of tons and tons of, of prophecies that are fulfilled exclusively in the life of Jesus. Now, if you look with a skeptical eye at the life of Christ and the following that he has, you'd have to ask this question, how in the world was Jesus doing all of this? Like, how did he actually do this? If you don't see it as a divine encounter, especially, you have to ask the question, how did he do this? How did he line all of these things up? Even if you were a brilliant student of history and prophecy, Even if you were a master manipulator of people and circumstances, how in the world could Jesus possibly orchestrate all of this, tying together thousands of years of history and prophecy and people and circumstances to carry out a plan that was dependent upon failure from a human standpoint? At least if that's how you define Suffering, rejection, and martyrdom. Like that was God's plan of salvation. And it was complicated. I love that in verse 16 it says, At first, his disciples did not understand all this. You think? They didn't understand any of it and it says only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. You see there's this revelation that comes through the work of Christ at the cross where all of a sudden I believe this is probably true, the disciples for the rest of their earthly lives I imagine were putting together the pieces of saying Oh my goodness, this historical event and this prophetic word and this, do you remember this thing that he said all brought together in this thing that he did and now these epistles that we're writing to try to explain all of this is it amazing the work of God. The plan of his salvation was so deep but now I want you to think about this. The sovereign plan of God's salvation, it is both amazingly interwoven with history and prophecy and yet it's also hauntingly personal. Because now we're reading the accounts of Christ and we're thinking about his suffering and if you have the courage to sit at the foot of the cross and ask what it might reveal to you, what you end up finding is that there is a man on the cross who knows your name. I think that's why a lot of us are like, <laughs> you know? I would rather study about Jesus. I would rather admire him, right, from, from over here. That's not threatening. A lot of people admire Jesus for who he is. But when you begin to think about a, a crucified Savior who knows who you are, like intimately knows all about you. He knows all the stuff that you've done. He knows all the places you've fallen short. He knows all the wins you've gotten, losses, everything else. The crucified Savior knows you. That is deeply, deeply intimidating. And it causes us oftentimes to sort of shrink back with a little bit of fear. The man on the cross knows me. The man on the cross knows you. He is actually accomplishing something that impacts me and impacts you. He is actually promising his finished work that will be imputed to me and to you. And when it starts to get personal like that, it starts to get very real. Do we understand the miracle that has unfolded before us? do we understand the miracle that has unfolded before us? So the sovereign plan of God's salvation is profound. And if you've come with me that far, let me give you just one other thought. One other thing that the cross reveals is the ultimate intersection of love and justice. Jerry Bridges, who's an author, he said this, He said, if we want proof of God's love for us, then we must look first at the cross where God offered up his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Calvary is the one objective, absolute, irrefutable proof of God's love for us. I agree with that. But I don't think that that is the depth of everything that is revealed at the cross. We can actually take this revelation a few steps further. Let me illustrate it for you this way. Many years ago, I heard the story of a man who was addressing a large gathering of international leaders from all around the world. Uh, An international group is an interesting thing to to, to try to address because is one cultural norm the same as another? Is one person's experience the same as another? Are there absolutes that transcend the cultural differences? And so here's this man who is a believer and he's sharing with this international group. And here's the thesis he put before them he said there seems to be common ground on these four universal truths there is a longing for love and everybody sort of cross-cultures said no yeah we, we see that there is a demand for justice or at least a desire for it yeah we agree There is the problem of evil, however you choose to define that. We seem to be wrestling with this empire is evil, this country is evil, this person is evil. There's a problem of evil in what we do with it. And there's this idea of the hope of forgiveness. And when I first heard that, I thought, well, I'm not sure. I mean, does everybody feel that way? Who hasn't at one point or another come to some kind of terms with their own mistakes their own fallenness their own mess and maybe hoped that forgiveness could be a real thing I think those those truths transcend culture in fact I would say to you today these are the headlines of the human heart and you see them in the headlines of your news if you look at love and justice and evil and forgiveness they show up again and again and again and again they haunt us So then the question gets asked to this international group. So where in the world did these four things converge in a single moment of history? May I take you to a hill called Calvary in the person of Jesus Christ who saw the evil in our world and saw the evil in our own hearts who was at the same time just and also our justifier, who loved us so greatly that he would give himself for us and who said, Father, forgive them of his enemies because they do not know what they are doing. So that phrase is haunting me. I can't seem to get past it, I'm not sure why. I think it's because, if I'm honest, we don't know what we're doing either. And I don't always know what I'm doing. And I probably miss the meaning of the cross. And I miss that which is eternal for the temporary. And I miss the voice of Jesus And yet here's the one who said of his enemies, Father, forgive them. They actually don't know what they are doing. Put that on a t-shirt. I don't know what I'm doing. But I do know this. There was a point in history when these four things converged in the person of Jesus Christ and the cross that he carried for us. Think how relevant the cross is. I would invite you in this coming week, in these coming weeks, to pray sincerely, pray daily, pray fervently that God would change the atmosphere in our region that we would see new life, that we would see spiritual breakthrough, that the cross of Christ would actually be seen for what is it and is intended to be seen. It's not a little decoration around your neck. It's not a little decoration for your church. There's nothing wrong with those things. But the cross of Christ is relevant for us today. Pray that we would have the courage to let it reveal Jesus to us. And also to reveal our own deep places of need. So what will your response be? I'm kind of just getting started with this message today. But what will your response be to the cross, which is the great revealer? I found this interesting. Uh, the Apostle Paul, Galatians chapter six, which was going to be my key message or passage for today. I was gonna preach to you out of that and then it, it kinda kept getting bounced down, bounced down, and now it's, it's just hung in there for the conclusion. But it's a good place for us to land because for Paul, the cross that revealed was a life-shaping revelation to the point that Paul, who was accomplished and had achieved so many things, and a lot of things he could have been proud of, a lot of places in which he could have said, I'm, I'm doing a lot of things well. I've been fervent in a lot of areas, and, and now you know he, he could say a lot of those things, especially once he came to Christ, and here's what he said in Galatians six. This is the end of an epistle that he's writing to a people, and the thesis of Galatians is this. Don't try to finish in the flesh what God has begun in the spirit. That's the message. That's what we find at the cross, what God has done in the spirit. That's your salvation. That's your righteousness. That's what you have to hang your hat on. So don't try to finish this now by your own efforts. And he's wrapping all of this up and here's what he says in verse 14 of Galatians 6. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. That is a profound, think about what we just said. The the, the cross is what helps us understand eternal value and temporary thing, and this is what Paul's saying, he's living out. He said, I'm crucified to the world, I'm already a dead man, doesn't matter, I've given my heart, my life to Jesus Christ, and the world is crucified to me, and I'm crucified to the world. And I'm actually living life as I was intended to, because I found this secret revealed in the cross of Jesus Christ. And then he says, because he's talking about all these All of these kind of earthly observances, circumcision. He goes, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything what counts is the new creation. He understood what was of temporary and eternal value. He encountered the sovereign plan of God's salvation. Isn't that kind of wild? I mean, think about this for a minute. There's The majority of us in this room, not every single person, The majority of us in this room can actually say we have encountered God's sovereign plan of salvation. Thousands of years after the cross, lives still being impacted, lives still that need to be impacted. So we pray with expectation. All of this and more Revealed in the cross of Christ. So, we started the message with a little prayer time, and I asked you, What are you asking Jesus for in this Holy Week season? I hope that as things are revealed to you today, that you'd be able to say, I'm asking the Lord for more of Him. I'm asking for a greater expression of His life in me, for a greater understanding of all that He wants to reveal the cross. That will change your world. That will change your life. So I'm going to ask you to pray with me. Father, we're grateful today. We're grateful today that you have called us to yourself, that you are still in the business of calling people to be worshipers, people who would lift up the name of Jesus, people who would draw near to you, and yet as I have Preach this message now two times. I find myself in the same conclusion. I find myself feeling very small, like almost like I've kind of wandered into a room I don't quite belong in. That your plan is so much bigger. That your goodness and grace is so much bigger that your love and your justice and your dealing with our brokenness is so much bigger. So to the extent that I feel a little overwhelmed as I sit at the foot of the cross, I kind of sense your Holy Spirit saying, that's not a bad place for you to be. It's not a bad place for us to be. So thank you, Lord, for revealing just a little bit more of yourself. And I pray God that our response would maybe be just a a little boldness in our prayer, a little more fervency, Lord, in our seeking after you, a little more trust and faith, a little more gratitude for all that you have done. For we are truly the recipients of an incredible gift an incredible gift. And we are thankful. Today, I wanna just give the invitation, if if today you would say, I don't know that I have received the gift of God's grace in my life. The finished work of Jesus Christ is imputed to you. That means it is given to you, it's stamped over you when you say yes to what he has done. And we've talked today about why that can be intimidating and why that can be hard, because yeah, he does. He knows you. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows the dark spaces. He knows the the hidden stuff. He knows the stuff that you have not told other people about yet. And yet his work is a work of restoration. His cross is a cross of restoration. Restoration so you actually can say right where you are you can literally kind of bow your knee bow your heart bow your life to the lordship of christ and say i will receive your finished work for me and he says that's what i died for right i died to bring you new life i died to bring you forgiveness i died to bring you forgiveness of your sins So it takes some humility to receive that. I pray that the Lord gives you that humility, that you might believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And so find yourself stepping into his sovereign plan of salvation that continues. Thank you, Lord. If there's somebody that needs that extra bump today, Lord, we ask that you would meet them. We pray in Jesus' name.